Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Psychiatria, the show where we explore true healing and everything that might mean. I am Danny, your host, guide, and fellow human on this journey. And today we are talking all about trauma. And not so much personal traumatic experiences or the details of those, but rather the universality of trauma as part of the human experience and the ways in which it affects our bodies and our minds. I speak with Anya Nyson, a therapist local to my town of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we do our best to define and describe what trauma is and what it can look like in a way that is accessible, meaningful, and actionable for all of you listening at home. And in the second part of this episode, which you'll definitely want to stick around for, we get into mindfulness, the beautiful, beautiful mindfulness and what a powerful tool it is for healing from, moving through, and living with trauma. I believe this episode is so important to share, especially in the early days of psychiatria, because trauma is one of those things that is truly at the root of so much of what we struggle with as humans. I think that there are a few better ways to work towards soul healing than to work with your trauma. And as you know, we are all about soul healing here. I learned so much from this conversation and I hope you find the same. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Anya. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, I am so happy to be here virtually with you today. Um, we are in the same town, but uh, this is easier to record podcasts. And yes, yeah. So um, I'll let you go ahead and do a little introduction of yourself for the listeners. Great. Well, I'm Anya Nyson, and I'm a psychotherapist in Grand Rapids, Michigan specializing in trauma, especially attachment trauma, depression, and anxiety. And that's really kind of my passion is educating about attachment and or developmental trauma. Kind of goes by both terms. Okay. Yeah. So you use attachment and developmental trauma interchangeably? Yeah, okay. they're, they're both are used. Yeah. Okay. There hasn't really been a settling on mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So trauma is kind of this thing like I feel like it's almost becoming a buzzword um or if not already you know you're nodding yeah I think it probably is I would agree um especially in your world in this world so yes but I think we know you know as integrative holistically minded people that trauma and definitely that childhood developmental attachment trauma is so often at the root of the suffering that we experience as humans. Um, And there are so many things to ask and so many things to be curious about in this realm because it just kind of, you know, spirals out into all of these different areas and I think can present in a lot of different ways. Um, But let's just start with a definition of it. You know, how, how do you define trauma and then that developmental trauma as a subset of it? 
Great. Well, we often think of trauma as big major things that happen to us. You think of combat or assaults, but trauma is not the things that happen to us. Trauma is what happens to us inside because of the things that happen to us. So that means how does something in our world affect us mentally, emotionally, and physically? So that broadens what traumatizes us. It can be our needs not being met. It can be bullied. It really opens up to um, all kinds of life events pertaining to this. And hopefully people can start to widen their lens of trauma as well. Mm -hmm. So then uh, this is something that I've tried to answer for myself as I've learned more about what trauma can can be, you know, with that that wide definition, that wide understanding. So how do we differentiate between events or, you know, something that happens, something that affects us versus something that can be defined as trauma? Um, it seems like that's kind of a gray area. Well, let me kind of define the differences between an event, single event. If we think of uh, traumas are kind of single events, they can be single events that happen over and over. Mm -hmm. But what happens with those is we have a lot of high emotional arousal. We can have flashbacks, reliving it, feeling like we're in fight or flight a lot, um, and a lot of emotional reactivity. But if we think of developmental trauma or attachment trauma, it starts in our childhood and it's at the hand of our caregivers. So it can be neglect. It can also be assault and it's ongoing. It can be more ongoing and chronic. And a lot of people mention it's it's like being turned away. It's a child not being attuned to. So when I said when our needs aren't being met, things like that, or a parent's not attuning to emotional needs or seeing their child as sad or anxious or depressed and not acknowledging that, that affects us. We believe that we don't matter, we're not important. And a lot of people with attachment rupture mention no real sense of self and no sense of other people as well. It really goes unrepaired. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so it sort of seems like it has to do with the, I guess, like the long-term effects per se, right? Like we experience things every day um, and some of those things stick with us and some of them are, you know, just pass as as a thing that happened. Um, You know, like a bunny rabbit ran out in front of my car and I like, oh my gosh. And then the next day you don't remember that it happened. So like not really traumatic but um something yeah and that sort of illustrates a different point of some things can be traumatic to some people and not to others which may then have to do with things that they've experienced in the past you know kind of trauma and trauma um yeah so before we we go off on on too many tangents i just kind of want to wrap that up that it's right can i mention something yeah that not all traumas lead to PTSD. Just because mm. we have a trauma does not mean we'll necessarily have PTSD. Okay. Those are two different things. Okay. That's that's a really that's a really <laughs> important clarification. Um that's definitely yes. yeah, that's an educational moment for me. Well, I, I can tell you it's interesting. There was an interesting study years ago of POWs, prisoners mm-hmm. of war. And they wanted to look at the difference after long term 
you know, isolation, things like that. What was the difference between the soldiers that thrived after coming back? I think of um, John McCain Mm -hmm. versus some would just crumble and could not function in Mm -hmm. life. And uh, I read a study about two separate ones. The one that was successful later on went on to create a very successful construction business. When he was alone at night, in his mind all the time, he was mentally constructing the home he would build when he returned. Mm -hmm. The other one was really more trapped in thoughts of, I'm going to die. I'm not going to survive this. This is terrible. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. So that one that looked future oriented and didn't focus on that most likely didn't have as much PTSD as the other Mm -hmm. one and was able to continue and function yeah yeah very interesting it makes sense yeah and there's also theories too that PTSD can often happen when we feel trapped when we can't escape danger Mm -hmm. you know think of a car crash if you get trapped and you can't get out you're more likely than to relive that trauma of being stuck versus someone who has an accident is able to walk away Mm -hmm. and continue on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense because it's fascinating mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Well, as we were talking about the differences between things that just happen, things that are trauma, things that turn into PTSD, um, you know, I imagine, and I don't think either of us are super educated in this side of it. It has to do a lot with the neurological changes that happen and then mm-hmm. how our brain processes things going forward. So it's, you know, maybe we can deduce or, or guess that it's there's some sort of protective um, aspect to this keeping your mindset, keeping your perspective, keeping your focus on something positive, hopeful, future-oriented, something that does not allow this traumatic event to like completely overtake you, um, completely overtake your, your world, your identity. And that seems very key. Well, it does. And I think it goes against our biological nature because actually what helps us survive is focusing on the danger. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a high-level order, someone who can rise above that fear and say, oh, no, I'm going to, you know, right now in this moment, I'm going to focus on the future. Because when we are traumatized, we do then, our brains are just wired to always look for danger. Mm -hmm. You're more likely to survive if you're aware of all the potential dangers. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Again, fascinating. It is. It really is. Yeah. It's the new frontier, the brain. Mm -hmm. I would say we know more about the human brain in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. than we have all of previous human history. And I think that's why now we're we're talking more about trauma. We're understanding the brain so much mm-hmm. more and more information is getting out mm-hmm. there. Yeah, it's so crucial. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get it. That's a big reason why I'm doing this podcast and why all this stuff is so yeah. so interesting to me, why I'm so passionate about it, because uh, I find it Agreed. so fascinating. Yes. And And I do think it's interesting to focus on, you know, psychiatry and you know, depression, anxiety, trauma, you know, it's for so long been called a chemical issue in the brain. Mm -hmm. But we have to start thinking of it as not a chemical issue that we can fix with medications. It's a circuitry issue. Mm -hmm. It's how our brains are wired or changed in their wiring because of trauma. So how our brains are formed, you know, that 
developmental traumas, how our circuitry was formed when we were young and the brain was developing, and then traumas when we're older, how it affects our existing circuitry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this metaphor of circuitry and sort of the, right, because you're growing up, you're developing, um, that affects the way that you grow, like that your your brain forms. Um, Right. I imagine much in the same way that if you grow up and you're malnourished like your physical body is not going to be the same as it would be it's going to have um it's going to struggle in some ways as as opposed to if it got the full complete profile of nutrition that it needed you know your brain will struggle in some ways if it um like you said if there were needs that were unmet and yeah so um i'll throw this out there and and you can speak off of it but um one of the things that i wanted to tease out here was yeah the particular difference between childhood developmental trauma and trauma that happens later on you know in adult life so i guess maybe one way to understand it is that childhood developmental trauma impacts the way that things are built and then that is sort of what you're left with and then <laughs> what you have impacts how you process, handle, react to potentially traumatic things that happen in your adult life? Well, and well, children have traumas too of, you know, danger in the home as Mm -hmm. well. So we can have both. We can have that neglect of our needs, but we can also be afraid in our houses Mm -hmm. all the time. Okay. So it can be both. So if we kind of, uh, Nadine Harris is a physician. If you ever get a chance to look her up, she has a great TED talk and she talks about, um, she calls it, you know, we're wired for fight or flight to protect ourselves from bears. But she says, what if you grow up and there's a bear in your house, Mm. which is a scary parent. Mm. You are going to be hyper aroused into fight or flight all the Mm -hmm. time. So that can show up in terms of that hypervigilance, never feeling safe, a child's little body being set for fight or flight all the time, mm-hmm. um, which I can say for myself, I have. And like even now as to working on it, I always, my hands and toes are always moving. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on calming myself down, telling myself there's no bears here because I had a very scary stepfather I grew up mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And it changes our body posture, our orientation in the world. So, and then on top of that, there's also can be that neglect, not even being attuned to, Mm -hmm. which then creates changes that circuitry, which that part really, we create beliefs about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if we're not attuned to then, well, I'm not lovable. Mm. I'm not good enough. I'm bad. So we couple that fight or flight with I'm not enough. And then we have grown-ups who then have relationship issues, anger, depression, anxiety, addictions. And that's just the mental and emotional aspect of it, not even the physiological changes it creates in Mm -hmm. us because you cannot separate the mind from the body. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Gosh, you threw out a lot of good stuff there. Um, I think yeah it sounds like you're you're drawing out this important distinction between 
the relational type of trauma that then impacts mm -hmm. the beliefs and sort of how we approach relationships as adults and then the actual um like the danger right and that that right side of it that impacts the fight and flight and i would imagine a lot of the time those go together you know especially if it um because i think a lot of kids a lot of people have that experience of a uh, a scary, you know, step parent or some some figure in their life who harmed them in some way. Well, I think for all children, I would say for all children, all grown ups are scary. Mm. So even if you're not physically hit, but if your parents know mm -hmm. that vicarious trauma, that can create vicarious trauma because it scares you. Mm. Even if they're not you're yelling at you. Right. Yeah. Just hearing yeah. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So, and part of the difficulty is too that children are egocentric and do not have a fully developed prefrontal cortex hmm. logic to be able to parse out why maybe parents are yelling at them or being mean. Children will always make it about themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They can't recognize, well, you know, like right. we might be able to say, okay, dad had a really stressful day at work. That's why he's upset that, you know, I didn't take my shoes off when I came inside. and <laughs> Exactly. A child will say, well, I'm bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then that wow. creates that internal belief, that circuitry mm -hmm. of I'm bad, I'm not good enough. And then we approach the world with that viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God, this is so fascinating. I, I, my wheels are spinning right now, man. This is <laughs> fantastic. Throw some stuff yeah. out. Yeah. Throw some so you mentioned a number of different ways that this can present with people, you know, I mean, from anxiety, depression, problem in relationships, you know, things like that. So I would love for you to talk a bit about how you see this most commonly in your practice um, to kind of, you know, draw this connection between okay, here's what we know, here's what we understand about how these early attributes of our life affect us, um, and here's what it might look like today. You know, here's what you might be seeing as a, a product of that. Boy, I would say currently I have never seen so much shame mm -hmm. in people in my entire life. Mm -hmm. I would say, especially with the younger generations, you know, the Gen Zers, millennials, the shame is just off the wow. charts. So shame is anytime we feel that we're never good enough. And I really call social media the icing on the poop cake <laughs> of, of shame, that it has just made it so much worse where there are so many people out there just believing they're not enough. Mm-hmm. Mm you know, not only did we have all these other cultural influences of media and cultural influences, good girl culture, patriarchal culture, American culture, whatever it is, now we have all this direct comparing. Mm -hmm. And so that's the biggest one. So feeling shame then creates feelings of inadequacy, inadequacy and anxiety, depression. Um, that's a big mm -hmm. one, which then all of that uh, leads into relationship struggles and then how do we cope and also growing up all of us grew up in emotion avoidant households because we live in an emotion avoidant culture yeah. 
So there's difficulty in relationships with even just being with our own feelings. Mm -hmm. And so what are we doing? We're eating our feelings. We're Netflixing our feelings, you know, using porn, video games, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, just to numb these uncomfortable feelings that we don't know what to do Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. Yeah. Shame about our feelings. Right. Shame about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Shame about our bodies, you know, our faces, our clothes, our houses, cars, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame. It is. It is. (laughs) I, when you brought up, when you said shame, the first thing that popped into my mind is, oh, we all need a little bit more Brene Brown in our lives. Um, she's yes. kind of the big, you know, right. shame, shame guru. Um, right. Bringing it out. Into yeah. The and I think something that, you know, being that I am really a part of this generation who experiences a lot of that shame and has very little understanding of what that is. Um, so, yeah, I think about I think about them. There's still difference between guilt and shame. And how those are not um like I think I think I've had a lot of conversations with friends about that, and um they'll be like, "Oh, I you know did so bad on this test or I messed up this thing, and like, oh, I'm just a piece of shit and uh and I'm like, no, you just you just didn't do well on the test, like that doesn't say anything about you as a person right. um you are a human and you are worthy and lovable and amazing just because you exist. But that's it. I think that's a particular bit of circuitry that's like really difficult to rewire, um, you know, because that shame is such a, the dominant message these days. Well, right. Well, and realize that shame has been used as a parenting tool. It can shame is the quickest tool we have to get social conformity. Mm. So it's been used throughout millennia. I remember the pilgrims that came across or even before that the town square where someone would be in shackles Mm -hmm. shame them into better behavior yeah so we it's always been used it's the quickest way to get social conformity Mm. so i always tell my clients that you there's a lot of times you can convert your shame into guilt and that's what i want you Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. so i always say that guilt is when we feel like we've done something bad Shame is when we feel like we are bad mm-hmm. or, or our essence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to be able to say, oh my God, I blew that test. I'm a piece of shit. Say, no, I'm a smart person who didn't do well on the test. Or I'm a smart person who just didn't study mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It doesn't mean I'm bad. Exactly. So that's, that's the work though, mm-hmm. is it's worth the investment of time because you will feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many little tips and tricks and tools. I, t- I do a lot of skill building and teaching those tools. And really, I say, give people a, a toolbox to be able to help yourself mm-hmm. so that we're not suffering as much to empower you to be like, okay, wait a minute. Is that really accurate? Yeah. What, what are some of the, the primary, your go-to tools that you throw out there to people? Well, this one I use, and I do use it for trauma, and it's called CPT. Mm-hmm. It stands for Cognitive Processing Therapy, and it was actually created by the VA for returning vets with PTSD and trauma. And it really gets to, it's a tool to help us challenge the beliefs that were created because of the things that happened. Mm-hmm. 
that really is a lot. They really believe they really work on a very cognitive level. It's all cognitive. It's all again, what you believe because of the trauma. So case in point, almost all women who have been sexually assaulted will blame themselves. Mm. It happened because I was drunk. It happened because of what I wore. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we live with those beliefs, well, that's not accurate. It happened because someone assaulted mm-hmm. you. You know, it, it doesn't have anything to do with us. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's challenging those beliefs because those beliefs create a lot of negative belief, further beliefs about ourselves. It creates negative emotions. But if we learn to live in fact, because here's how it happens. It's our thoughts that create our emotions, then our body responds every time, unless we're in fight or flight. So if we have negative thoughts about ourselves can create uncomfortable emotions, you know, anxiety, fear, Mm -hmm. whatever. And then our body is going to respond with a fight or flight response with anxiety. But if we live in more fact-based thinking is going to create more balanced emotions. And then our body is not going to go into fight or flight, get kicked in with adrenaline and cortisol Mm -hmm. and get stressed out because chronic fight or flight creates inflammation in the body. Inflammation in the body eventually leads to disease. Mm -hmm. So another mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, um, I think, is potentially one of the most underrated uh, factors into disease is is stress you know simply put but um well and another is repressed emotions mm -hmm. which causes stress yeah well right when we repress our emotions it represses our immune system Mm -hmm. so it really is almost all autoimmune issues Mm -hmm. can have an emotional component Mm -hmm. to them it's very interesting so it would be nice if medical schools would start incorporating this right now doctors are still just learning a strictly biological model of treating Mm -hmm. people which is half the picture right yeah and that's where you know this is where i get so fascinated by what free range is doing and very Mm -hmm. much trying to you know so all the the psychiatrists that work for us have gone through um traditional psychiatrist school and have learned things from that biological model and then have kind of through their own journey said hmm something's not right here there's there's more to this and then they find free range and you know we say yay congratulations (laughs) you found us oh thank goodness uh, yes we need much more of it yeah but it is it's such a huge paradigm shift and sometimes i say things and people balk at it or they get upset with mm-hmm. it but because it is such a radical ch- shift in how we perceive what's going on with mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. yeah and I this goes um I think plays on multiple points in our conversation so far it's just the whole idea of mindfulness and how that works into processing living with healing from um rewiring trauma um and i know this is something that you're you're a big advocate of so i'd I'd love for you to talk more about how that fits into your your practice with patients well i always say and i've i've taken this from dr gabor mate um who i love and i fangirl on him a lot we were just talking Um, about him the other day (laughs) 
Oh, mm-hmm. great. Yes. I just finished a year long online training with him. Wonderful. Um, and what therapy really is, is moving from our unconscious patterned program behavior to consciousness. And mindfulness is so essential to us getting out of that patterned behavior that we do automatically. I call it just being on autopilot. If we don't pause, we will always continue to do what we've always done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the process is interrupting that and say, okay, oh, wait a minute. Why actually am I afraid to go to the grocery store? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah. You know, if we stop, I've never, nothing bad has ever happened to me in the grocery store. So what's really going mm-hmm. on? So that pausing and really working to be in the present moment, mindfulness is all about being in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Because when we are in our heads, our brains will always go to a bad place. Mm. Always. We have a built-in negative bias to the brain. Mm-hmm. We know that. We attune to the negative much more quickly, easily, rapidly than we do positive. That's protective. Mm-hmm. Again, it's that cave person brain of if I'm alert to all the potential dangers, I'm more likely to survive. Mm-hmm. So if we are not mindful and in the moment, paying attention to where our mind is, then it's going to go to the past and create feelings of depression because it's going to go remember the bad Mm -hmm. stuff, or it's going to go to the future and create feelings of anxiety, because it's going to what if this happens? What if that happens? And the only time we are present in the present moment is when we're in flow. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, flow is a great state where we're equally engaged and enthused in an activity. But most of life is not Mm -hmm. that (laughs) doing dishes, we are not in flow doing dishes. Mm -hmm you know, driving, unfortunately. So when we're doing those mindless activities, I would say the mind goes, <laughs> let's see how fucked up we can get her by the time she finishes the dishes or by the time she arrives yeah. to where she's yeah. going. Excuse my French. Um, and so our job is that hard work is to try to stay in the present moment, even during the mundane stuff, mm-hmm. so that we can be aware of our patterned behavior. Yeah. And it's a, you know, I can say from my own personal experience that it's very much a practice, you know, where you are, I remember for so long before I actually took a mindfulness class and learned how to do it, um, that I would just hear like, just be in the present moment, just, you know, be where you are, da da da, like, you know, observe your thoughts. And I'm like, I don't, how, what do you mean? It's hard and it is it's so hard because we're not we're not taught right unless like you're lucky enough to have someone in your life who teaches you or you go out and seek it for yourself um or you grow up in in one of those lovely cultures around the world that has that more integrated um yeah but it's very much a thing that i well and i guess i remember hearing on podcast you know listening years and years ago people say things similar to similar to this and I'd be like cool okay but like help me do it so so how um how does somebody do it here's here's what okay I don't want to get too much into it so we're going to be mindful of two things we have to be mindful of our internal experience and our external experience Mm -hmm. okay it's easier to start with the external experience we're Our external experience consists of our five senses, Mm -hmm. what we see, hear, smell, touch, Mm -hmm. taste. So what I say, the quickest way to start doing that is just fill your head 
with everything you're doing, everything you're noticing. Mm -hmm. So I always say, and practice in the shower. The shower is a great place to practice mindfulness. Yeah. Um, because one, we're never in the shower with ourselves. We're usually for in the morning, we're already at work and we're not enjoying how nice a shower is, a little water therapy. Mm -hmm. So what I say is you say, okay, pulling back the shower curtain. I can hear the rungs on the top. I'm touching the faucet. It's cold. Turning it, uh, you know, oh, that that's cold. I can hear the water hitting the bottom. I'm touching the water. It's cold, 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 warm, 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 hot. Okay. Pulling up the shower nozzle, whatever it is. Okay. You just fill your head with everything that you're just noticing. narrate the experience. You just, if you fill your head with everything that's going mm -hmm. on, like, oh, that's hot on my back. Oh, that feels so good. I can hear the water splashing on the floor when I stand there. We only have one brain. It can only really focus on one mm -hmm. thing at a time. Multitasking, we all know, doesn't mm -hmm. exist, right? Our brain just very quickly switches. But if you fill your head and you make your head have to focus on every little minutia, it can't go to those bad places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's the quickest way to practice mindfulness. And it's hard. So even if you're saying, okay, walking, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, touching if you narrate okay i'm putting my keys on the counter here you will never forget where you left your keys because you're actually present yeah, yeah. usually rushing we put them down and we're think our head somewhere else and then you know we're searching for our keys the next day running right, late right so practice practice your mind's going to wander off and you go okay well i'm in the future nope come back i'm doing dishes okay yep there's some eggs stuck on this plate you know, just describe all of that stuff. My feet hurt, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. And I always say one second of mindfulness is one less seconds of suffering. Mm. Yeah. So it's worth absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I yeah. can fully, completely, wholeheartedly get behind that statement. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Right. You know, some of my favorite things too are brushing your teeth. That's another great one yes. to start That's with. That's another one. Um, also anything that's sensory lots of sensory yeah. stuff if you like to be outside you've got some grass or something like just going outside and like putting your feet on the grass just barefoot on the grass on the ground you know if you're by the water you go to the beach um and just feeling feeling that because i think we have i don't know if it's quite as many sensory receptors in your feet as in your hands but you have a lot more sensory receptors in your feet than you'd think um so that's also a really wonderful like just kind of mindful walking and I mean you if you were to drive by my house you would see me just kind of walking in circles on my tiny little square patch of front yard in the city oh I yeah. love it yeah <laughs> well and another thing to add to mindfulness is get into a lot of details mm. so if you are sitting in the grass or walking that describe the different colors of the blades of grass or the shapes mm -hmm. get into all that minute detail and that makes your mind learn how to concentrate in the present moment even mm -hmm. more yeah. yeah yeah and even um I think it can help too to say it out loud if you're yeah that's um because I think a lot of us you know our brains go so fast and we're um just I just love all this stuff um I do too I could talk about it forever <laughs> let me add the internal experience yes please so I think it's easiest to start mindfulness with the external, mm -hmm. with the easy stuff, you know, 
see, hear, smell, touch, taste, being mindful of our internal experience means we're being mindful of our thoughts, mindful of our emotions and what our body is doing. So it's, it's like we have to stand away from ourselves. I always say you have to pretend like you're an alien from another planet, you know, or a social scientist who's been sent to study this creature. We have to have that distance, that objectivity from ourselves to be able to say, oh, wow, I just had a thought that I'm afraid to go in the grocery store. Mm. That's mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And oh, I'm feeling anxious now. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, isn't it? I always like to say, use the phrase, isn't it interesting? Oh, isn't it interesting that now my heart's beating fast? Yeah. So usually we don't have that kind of objectivity. Just through that, we then freak out like, grocery store is dangerous and I'm all stressed out. I'm not going Mm -hmm. instead of stepping back. So that is the mindfulness. We narrate in our heads, our thoughts, we narrate in our heads, our emotions, we're just acknowledging them and then acknowledge what's happening in our body. Yeah. Yeah. And just that, um, for me, I think probably the biggest part of it has been learning how to notice these things, especially emotions. Um, because my, and I know that it's not the way that it actually works but my experience is often like I don't realize what I'm thinking about or what's going on or what's triggering something and then all of a sudden I'm just feeling like so anxious or so whatever right. and I'm like last night I was sitting on the porch eating dinner and all yeah. of a sudden I was like <gasps> and I'm like this is this is strange um right but and- it is you had some thought that then freaked you out a little bit, but mm-hmm. we're not present to it. We, and so I have people, I don't know why I was anxious. I was anxious for no reason. Like, nope, there was a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because something. Being able to notice it without needing to understand or do anything about it is huge. Yeah. The big thing is to not react. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not react. Just, mm-hmm. yeah. Just, it's just a thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basic mindfulness. Yeah. Headspace stuff. You know, a yeah. thought is just a thought. Feeling is just a feeling. We don't have to put so much weight on it. It's so important. Mm-hmm. So let's um, talk a little bit about how that ties directly into trauma and working through these things. I think it's, it's fairly straightforward, but I want to make that point. Well, if I think about it, one of the difficulties with trauma, too, is we get trapped in the past. Hmm. we don't realize that we're no longer in danger. So I'm Mm -hmm. talking about maybe those event traumas or also our minds don't realize that we're grown people now and Mm -hmm. that we aren't helpless, defenseless children. Yeah. And so mindfulness allows us to go, okay, wait a minute, there's actually no danger here. So a saying I use that works for me and I share with my clients is a way I get myself out of that is I say, I recognize it, mindful. I go, oh, I'm freaking out right now. And I tell myself, there's no bears here. Anya, there's no bears here. We're okay. Mm-hmm. So that like, and then it's like, my mind goes, oh yeah, that's right. I'm just in my office or I'm in, I'm safe. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. It's just my mind kind of freaking out a little bit. Yeah. Doing its yeah. job. Right? And this would be um, like inner child work too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sort of like you, the inner child is the one that's scared of the bear. And then it's sort of present you that says, no, hey, we're okay. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. I call it. So it's parts work and I call it mm-hmm. reparenting yep. those child parts that really still run all of our shows. Unless we really, again, mindful and always challenging 
that fear-based brain we have. We still have the same brains we had as cave people. Mm -hmm. That's wired Mm -hmm. for fight or flight. Yeah. 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 So instead of imminent threats, you know, this bear could kill me. I have to be on alert. We freak ourselves out with psychological threats. We can sit on our couch and freak ourselves out. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can sit there and think yourself into, you know, convince yourself that there is literally a bear standing over your shoulder, like ready to eat you. Exactly. And the problem is our bodies don't know the difference between us imagining a bear standing in front of us or an actual bear. Mm -hmm. Our bodies will respond the same way. Right. Yeah. So the more cortical control we can have over that hyper aroused system, Mm-hmm. Being able to say, no, no, we're safe. There's no bears here. There's no danger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We then can reduce that stress response. Yeah. That really is our ultimate goal to yeah. say, okay, yes, this trauma, no, I'm safe in my living room. That trauma was 20 years ago. We're okay. Let's breathe. And we walk ourselves through and kind of parent ourselves, love ourselves into we're safe here. We mm-hmm. have to tell ourselves and have an internal dialogue with our thoughts but most of us are so afraid of our thoughts and our emotions we distract we run away and that's where we can get into trouble Mm -hmm. so in addition to experiences and relational things there's also this element of um, intergenerational trauma and, and that whole piece of it which i think is very much like the the tip of the new frontier you know as we're speaking about with the brain and and all these things so yeah speak a bit about what what you know about those topics well you know it's not my area of expertise but it is fascinating that Mm -hmm. researchers are finding that connection between you know intergenerational trauma that what happened even to our grandparents can affect us I mean, look at Holocaust survivors and how their descendants can have a lot of anxiety. And um, the interesting thing is that we can, even if our grandmother had a trauma, that can be passed down because when she gave birth to our mother, uh, women are born with all of their eggs at birth. Mm -hmm. So any genetic changes that was in that grandmother were then passed on into your mother, into Mm -hmm. her eggs, and then we get it as well. Mm -hmm. And I just read too that another, for males, it's whatever that age when they're, um, they start developing sperm, that -hmm. if there's trauma, then that's how kind of the genetic link for males can be passed. Mm -hmm. I don't, again, I don't know a lot about that, something I recently heard but it's a fascinating kind of burgeoning area of science. Yeah, it is. It totally is. I remember when I first heard about epigenetics and I was like, what? Oh my God. Like I, I think when I was in biology in high school, it was like just becoming a thing. And my teacher was like really into all that. And I remember her mentioning it to us. And um, yeah, it was so I've been fascinated with it never never since well and if you think about it it makes sense if you think about family lineage you know if you're interested there's a very fascinating book called it didn't start with you Mm -hmm. by mark uh wolin and it doesn't have a lot of research in it but he shares stories of people he's worked with and you can read the 
how they find those genetic traces to people in their current issues. Hmm. So it's mm-hmm. really a fascinating read if yeah. anyone's interested in that. Yeah, and we'll um, get links to all this. You've mentioned a couple of books and different articles, and definitely yes. the stuff on epigenetics. We'll have that all, all linked, so you can check that out pretty easily. Yes. Um, yeah, and I guess just kind of you know to tie all this together between uh, epigenetics, intergenerational trauma, relational trauma, traumatic events, childhood and adulthood, mindfulness as a tool to help in living and growing from all of that, what would be your kind of takeaway words for, you know, somebody who's sitting at home, driving in their car, listening to this and saying, wow, that's very interesting. What the heck do I do with this in my own life? Maybe they have the support of a therapist. Maybe they don't. Um, Yeah. What would you say to them? Boy, that's a big one. Mhm. Mhm. I would say first and people might get upset with me for saying this but I think we all have to accept that we are all traumatized. Mm. In one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that does come from how we were raised. Mhm. Cuz it's very culturally influenced. So yeah. I think that's kind of the biggest hurdle. And just because you were traumatized like that doesn't mean that you have a mental illness or that you are broken in some way like that just means that something happened to you that affected how your brain built itself right basically yeah which is not again not something to be ashamed of uh and and not to blame our parents either Mm -hmm. it's not to place shame or blame anywhere it's Mm -hmm. just really living in reality yeah Uh, people have a hard time accepting that because culturally spanking is still considered acceptable behavior Mm -hmm. hitting your children um so culturally it's like no i deserved it those you know will go along with no i i should have been hit like that you know, mm. it's because I did this. Well, no, you were a kid. You were mm-hmm. doing age appropriate exploring or behavior. Yeah. Um, but then we can start to make the connection of, okay, well, yeah, maybe I can make the connection. That's why maybe I have so many relationship problems or why do I have difficulty with authority at work or other places? And, oh yeah, why do I drink too much? Um, again, we're just going to consciousness. Let's start mm-hmm. just creating the links and getting a full concise story. Again, not for blame, but just for our own understanding of, mm-hmm. oh, that's why I do this. That's why yeah. I've done this all this time. It's just data for us. I think mm-hmm. data is great. Emotions are data. Our mm-hmm. thoughts are data. What's going on in our body is data. Let's put all that together yeah. so that we can use that data to help ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no area of other area of life where we would leave out a whole bunch of data and make decisions. Right. Right. But, you know, you wouldn't buy a car without knowing how much it costs. But yet when we ignore our emotions and we're not paying attention and we're making decisions, I'm going to leave that person, you know, because of this or that. Well, we're making a lot of decisions with a whole bunch of data missing. Yeah. And then to be compassionate with yourself also. Oh, 100%. That's the yeah. journey. Not, I would say when I see people, we're going to take a journey of you and it's going to be a good journey. Mm. It's not about shaming. It's about 
creating the accurate story instead of the story we created as little children without a lot of logic and perhaps based in fear or insecurity and adequacy mm-hmm. and just basic survival. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, this has been such a wonderful, enlightening conversation. I've learned so much. Oh, yeah, so much more we could do. Oh, my goodness. Go on and on. Yeah, so much. <laughs> so much. Um, I would not be surprised if we continue this conversation someday in the near future. So, oh, let's do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Maybe with questions or from listeners or... Oh, I would love that. Or something. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. People at home, if you got, if you got things, send them our way. Yes. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. I I hope that, you know, people at home have gotten even a fraction out of this, of what I have. Um, oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I just, yeah, I ramble a lot with this stuff because it's, it's it, again, I think I've said fascinating like 20 times, but it is, it, it's because it's our humanity. We right. all understand this. That's our language, mm-hmm. emotions, and it connects us all. Yeah, yeah. That's why this felt so appropriate to do so early on in the podcast, because it really is, it really is at the root of so much. Um, and I think so many of the people that, you know, come into free range um, or that, you know, go see any, any psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, social worker, whoever, it's so often because of trauma in some way, shape or form. Um, right. And so, instead yeah. of let's not blame it on our oh I, it's a biochemical issue in me my brain's messed up mm-hmm. because of its chemistry well no it's circuitry and let's yeah. talk about it let's yeah. let's create a new paradigm and how we look at it mm-hmm. let's understand let's be kind to ourselves and mm-hmm. right and let's not pathologize it let's right. humanize it exactly and embrace exactly. it and work with what we have and grow from it mm-hmm. that's yeah. you know life goals man Life uh, yeah, goals. For, oh, girl, for all of us, I'm still on my journey, you know, exactly. it's a journey and it's an ongoing one mm-hmm. for all of us to challenge those existing beliefs. Mm-hmm. I'll stop because I'll keep going. <laughs> all righty. Yeah, we'll wrap it up here. Um, so again, just thank you so much. I so look forward to the next time. And um, likewise, Danny, it was so great being here and let's, I'd love to continue. Thank you so much for tuning in, dear listeners. You can find those links to the studies and books that we spoke about in the show notes. And if you have any questions, thoughts, feedback that you want to share with us and hear Anya and I discuss in future episodes, please do so. I want to hear from you. You can send me an email at podcast at freerangepsych.org. You can message me on Instagram at Psychiatria Podcast, or you can use the handy dandy little Google form I made. Uh, You'll find that linked in the blog post and also linked in my Instagram bio. And remember, if you like what you heard, follow us on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review. It really helps to spread the word and helps others learn about true soul healing. So, all right, dear listeners, I wish you all the best and I'll catch you next time. Thank you.